record. After technical difficulties, this is going to be the first episode of None of the Above, and I will tell you about those technical difficulties in a second. What I need to do is invite Jim. So let me do that quick. Oh, no, I don't want that. I want this. Okay, that's copied. Let's get over to Facebook and invite him. He should get on pretty quickly. He did had no problem doing it last time. So I think we're going to be good now. I am so sorry, everybody. I just invited him. Ah, he's joining. Hello. Beautiful. Okay, we are okay. here. <laughs> we are finally live. I am going to tell you exactly what happened, which is that YouTube has deployed a so-called beta studio, and I trusted that the features would work like the old classic studio, and I tried, and I tried, and I tried, and it did not, and so I had to go back to the classic version of the YouTube studio, and when I did, lo and behold, here we are. Hello. Good. It worked. <laughs> yeah, I know. But then the question is, what's going to happen if they eliminate the option to go back to the classic studio? And then I'm right. stuck trying to figure out what in the world they've done. Right. Well, I have to master something else. So, so it is. I it just is, want to thank you, Amy, because you're light years ahead of me in all this technical no, stuff. No, but the, well, you said that. But then look what happened. Look what happened. Okay, so everybody, this is going to be. It's going to be reliable after this. I'm going to figure out how to navigate that beta studio just to, you know, because when they eliminate this classic one, I'm going to be lost, obviously. Um, <laughs> this is going to be a weekly show that will start at 2 p.m. Eastern time, <laughs> 11 a.m. Pacific time, regularly on Wednesdays. I thank Scout's Jim Honor. Valiant. I thank Jim <laughs> Valiant for indulging me uh, today, of course, being patient about the technology, but in general, wanting to do a weekly show, which I've been wanting to get back to. And also, I mean, you let me have my title. Oh, it's a cool title. I love your title. I don't I, know what, what problem Yaron had with it. It was a great title. It's <laughs> negative. It's negative. It's See, negative. None. Yeah, saying, no. It's so yeah. negative. Yeah. We're saying what we're not. Debbie Downer. What we are. Right. I see. None of the above. So I mean, what... <laughs> What is, you know, I want to get into some of the heavy news stuff, right? Right, right. It's an incredible news week. We have, it's crazy. I wanted to have this kind of leisurely show. And of course, now we've had the technical difficulties that threw us off. Um, but I wanted to have, you know, sort of the, like a first class of a semester kind of show, right? <laughs> Where you just come in and you lay out what the rules are and, you know, what the sort of focus of it was going to be. And, you know, we just kind of chit chat and have fun. And then all these heavy news items are there. So we want to get to it quick. <laughs> briefly, how do you see none of the above? What does it mean to you? Well, I really hope that we can get into a variety of, of topics. You know, none of the above sort of has a political implication, but I also think that there's, we are such fascinating, charming people. We know so much. I mean, after all, we're two big mouth California lawyers. Is there nothing that we can't talk about? Exactly. Uh, no, I want to get into everything that's worth talking about, uh, really, uh, you know, and our unique crunchy take on everything that's worth discussing, whether it's art and culture or science and technology or politics. So, yeah, I'm looking forward to discussing everything under the sun with you. 
Thank so you. you're you're sort of saying it's all of the above, but let me tell you <laughs> let me tell you what none of the above means to me. Okay, so okay. Um, obviously the song itself that it was inspired by is a Duran Duran song. I'm a hopeless Duran. Yeah, I've got Jezebel sitting up there behind me. You can see my poster, but I was a Duran Duran fan just crazy for so long. And this great song that Simon Le Bon, who is an out of the closet, actually outspoken atheist wrote these lyrics. He talks about um, money, power, and holy roads. Freedom puts my faith in none of the above. And you and I would disagree with Laban about money, uh, but probably we're on the same page with him about wanting power over other people. We don't think that anybody who's a, a good person should want power over other people in the sense that he's talking about right. in terms of being able to wield physical force and force people to yeah. do against their will right so um right. <laughs> whole, but holy roads in particular is relevant to you and your most recent book which go ahead and plug it for a second or two i've got sure. it by the way there's program notes for this the program notes were posted successfully <laughs> over at my blog at don'tletitgo.com so you can check them out there and there is a link to jim's book but go ahead and give them a brief well, my most recent book, Creating Christ, is a definitely a none of the above kind of thing. It rejects basically most of the standard interpretations of the origins of Christianity. And it has a controversial view of the origins of Christianity. And uh, it's available through Amazon.com. And um, it's having some remarkable success in the scholarly world from very disparate areas of scholarship precisely because it takes such a unique and fresh uh, take on things. And if you were to ask me, that's what I, I also think, I, I guess I should have also added that none of the above really means that it's our unique take, that uh, we're not satisfied with the take of most uh, opinion uh, talking heads on most matters. <laughs> exactly. No, And so it's no faith in any sort of higher power and for me, none of the above, I would say that we accept nothing above the individual and the individual's judgment as to what is good for his own life. So none of the above in terms of any sort of authoritarian political figure or a mystical sort of figure who's superior in some other superior dimension, supposedly. Right, according right. To a subtitle for us maybe could be Think for Yourself. Think for yourself. Yeah, now you had Excite Your Mind, and we'll have to play with this. We'll have to see. My wife had this great idea, Excite Your Mind as a tagline. She's got a great PR sensibility, and I really love that tagline, Excite Your Mind. Yeah. Yeah, so we can <laughs> use that. Think, think for yourself, of course, is, is very straightforward as to, as to what we have in mind. Right. So that's the idea behind the title. In terms of us getting together and doing a show, it just was occurring to me naturally over the last few weeks because – you and I have been on the air before when I was doing my own show, Don't Let It Go Unheard. You came and did an interview about your latest book, Creating Christ, but also you, yeah. I've had you call in a couple times. I've interviewed you a couple times and we've always had really good conversations. So I figured, okay, this is just a natural thing to ask about. And of course you jumped on it immediately. And so here we are. Yes. Finally, <laughs> enthusiastically. Yes, yes. So, you know, one thing, because I, we're just doing this briefly, this intro briefly, in terms of what our crunchy take, as you put it, is going to be, why don't we show and not tell? Uh, because, and the way that we're going to show and not tell is to start going through some of the stories that are in the program notes. Again, 
go to my blog at don'tletitgo.com, which is in one of these millions of tabs that I've got up here as I was trying to solve our technical difficulties. I'm going to find the program notes here pretty quick, I hope. Yeah, I've got all these YouTube tabs open that weren't working. <laughs> it's, it's just ridiculous what I had to do. And As I say, you're technically way more advanced than I, I am. Mean, at, least, at least I finally solved the problem. And I thank you for all of you guys who had patience and we're sitting here live through all this and, and are finally with us. So I, I apologize. Thanks I, am, I am blaming that YouTube studio <laughs> beta though, because I, I thought I, you know, I recognized the character strings that the different parts of it were feeding me as the character strings that I've worked with before. And I fed them into the appropriate thing in Zoom, which is my streaming software. <laughs> and it, it just didn't work. And then when I went into the classic, it was boom, it was done like that. So I'm gonna, I'll have to talk to them. Anyway, over at the blog, don'tletitgo.com program notes, you see at the beginning, the Duran Duran song that inspired this all. If we ever get to be big time, we can afford to use it as intro music, which I think would be really fun. A that would be cool, yeah. yeah. <laughs> a, a link to your book, which we'll talk about a bit more later in connection with Kindle. You told me something about that. Mm -hmm. uh, I've got the None of the Above Facebook page. So those of you guys who want to follow us on Facebook, go on over there. And then the big story of the day, if politics is your thing. Robert Mueller testified before Congress this morning. The latest headline that I saw, you know, because New York Times is always morphing their headlines. The latest one that I saw before I dealt with all this technical stuff was that they got very little out of him this morning in the hearings. But I saw another one that said that he reluctantly admitted that the report was not exculpatory of our president. Those are the two bits that I got. What is your take on this? Because you are a former prosecutor. I figure you are the person to ask. Well, thank you. Yeah, I frankly am terribly unimpressed with Robert Mueller's testimony and in fact, his whole report. It's not the job of a prosecutor to exonerate anybody. Um, if he's tasked, as he said he was tasked in his testimony today, to be like a U.S. attorney, to be a, a prosecutor looking at this from a chargeable standpoint, neither the Justice Department policy that says a sitting president cannot be indicted, nor uh, a legal standard that says uh, exonerate the person are applicable. And uh, it's really an evasion on his part to cite either one of those. Uh, was there or was there not a chargeable offense in either case? Now, in the first case, he found positive evidence that Trump rejected a lot of uh, offers from Russia. And he really conclusively found that, that Trump, while he had a lot of contacts with Russia, um, the Hillary Clinton campaign had a lot of contacts with Russia too, uh, that there was no conspiracy. Um, it, it, it's really, really disingenuous to say that collusion might involve non-criminal aspects when his only task was to find whether or not there was a crime in that. And in that it was clear he could not find a crime. In fact, he kind of went out of his way to show how it looked like Trump was actively discouraging um, any contacts by his uh, campaign with the Russians. Although there's no doubt that he loved those WikiLeaks releases. He was looking forward to them. He was sure. expecting more. <laughs> he was eating up those WikiLeaks uh, uh, leaks as they were coming out during the campaign. That still doesn't demonstrate collusion. And then when you get to the obstruction of justice part, 
Uh, then he really, in my view as a prosecutor, did something unethical. He evaded, really, the question of whether it was chargeable uh, by some legal standard, whether there was probable cause to arrest or whether it could be proved beyond a reasonable doubt uh, in a, to a criminal jury. When evaluating it on those grounds, he punted completely and said, well, we couldn't completely exonerate him, citing several instances where it certainly looked like Trump wanted to obstruct the investigation. There's a separate question as to whether or not those obstructions would have been obstruction. But let's assume that even Trump saying, for example, to McGahn, the White House lawyer, hey, do this, and that would be an obstruction of justice. Assume that that would be an obstruction of justice. There was no follow through. He was president of the United States. Uh, he said it. McGahn did not do it. If he, didn't, if he really wanted McGahn to have done it, he could have fired McGahn, <laughs> ordered him to do it, followed up in some way with McGahn. But the, the most powerful line of questioning was from some of the Republicans, I thought, who said, look, you completed your investigation. You said nothing got in the way of getting the information you needed for your investigation. So we have no underlying crime, and we have an investigation that completed its work <laughs> without obstruction. So, and the president of the United States was uniquely in a position to obstruct that investigation. Sure. So as a prosecutor, if I were ever to take that to court, the main problem that any lawyer uh, would have with that charge against Trump is that there was really no follow through. You can't really prove that he intended to do it. An attempt to do a crime requires an act in furtherance, not merely a statement of, gee, I'd like to go hit Joe. Okay, okay, but isn't, isn't his talking to McGahn and telling him what to do, even if he later didn't follow up, isn't that initial conversation an act in further? That's, that, uh, a statement can be an act, especially from someone like the president who can order something to be. A mere order sure. could be construed as an act. I understand that. But there's the other side of the, the equation. A mere statement in most cases is not. For example, if I say, gee, I'm really angry at okay, Joe Smith, and guy, I, you know, what, I really what, what, am angry at Joe Smith, okay, I'm going to go okay. rob Joe Smith what or did he, what hit did he Joe say? Smith. What did he say to McGann again? Because you said he, he told him to do a certain thing. That uh, sounds like an order. Yeah, he actually told him to you know, lie, hide information. Let's take the worst of it. And let's assume that, that, that that's correct. If, however, someone does not take your, you seriously, right, and they don't follow up on it. Okay, okay, yeah, okay. So then, so then we get into some finer thing, right? Because right. to me, this is like, okay, if he pushed a button and the button was going to result in some sort of obstruction, then therefore he did the act, right? So, right. So, listen, let me finish the thought. So, in the normal case, when a president goes to you know, someone who reports to him and says, hey, do this thing or lie or whatever it is, um, you would expect that they take him seriously and that everybody understands that the person should do it, whether or not they end up doing it, right? Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. there's I'm something. Sure that. Okay. I'm so not sure that. There could be times when a president is blowing off steam. Okay, that's what I'm saying. That's what I'm saying. So that was going to be, that was the rest of my thought. That was the rest yeah. of my thought, right? Maybe the Which president is, was just really angry. He knows right. he didn't do collusion. So he was blown off steam. You should fire Mueller. We should right. fire Weissman. 
we should lie to them and hide that evidence. Okay, so was there, an understanding, was there an understanding between him and McGann that if he says stuff like this, that really he's just blowing off steam and so he doesn't mean it? And like, I think that for a jury who would decide this, uh, the question would be, did he, was he taken seriously? Did he intend it to be taken seriously? And for that, we'd need some that, so the, the intention, week the intention though, right? What, what have you done, Mr. No, McGann? Not, following not up subjective on intention, not subjective intention, James. Right? Well, but we need but, the facts it, to show the intent. So well, if there okay, had been okay. a single follow-up, Mr. McGann, what have you done to follow up on my orders? You know, I was serious about that. Exactly. Or, exactly. Mr. McGann, you're fired if you don't. I'm going right. to get a new lawyer. <laughs> okay. you but I, but, but you, see, you see how we have to clarify that, right? Because right. Because Most? in a normal case, if I were just to say, you know, Amy, I'm so angry at you that I'm going to go break into your house and rip you off. That's a mere statement of intent. If I don't do anything, acquire tools to do it, stake out your house. It's still a threat there, though, right? It's it, a, it could it, be a threat. Well, unless I know not to take you seriously. That's right. Well, and a threat also has to be um, immediate and uh, you have to know that I'm going to do it right then and there. Uh, normally terroristic threats or threats of violence require a Something desire to have it immediately done. Um, now, as a prosecutor, I think there's reasonable doubt and then some on the obstruction case because Trump didn't follow through and, his, and what actually happened is the, the entire investigation was not obstructed. And indeed, the president was in a unique position <laughs> to obstruct that investigation. He in sure. fact would have fired Mueller he, in fact, could have fired Weissman at any time and did not. And if I compare, in fact, the level of cooperation that the Trump White House gave to investigators versus, say, uh, Bill Clinton or Barack Obama or even George W. Bush, boy, they were claiming executive privilege. They would prevent witnesses from talking when there was an investigation. Right. Trump actually, in an unprecedented, to an unprecedented degree, gave documents, allowed uh, his own to have McGahn's testimony, he could have stopped the White House lawyer from testifying at all, saying this is executive privilege, attorney-client privilege, no way he's talking. Sure. Uh, but he didn't do that. So the fact that we even know these statements that Trump made through McGahn that were never even followed up on it is actually a demonstration of how open Trump was. Now, don't okay, get me wrong. Okay. So, so, I don't so, think that Trump was a good actor here. I think he was blowing off uh, steam that is disturbing to me. The, the stuff that if if what McGann said is true, that really bugs me. Yeah, it bugs it, it, it is. It's concerning that in this area and in other things that we've heard about through the news as well, that he is having to be buffered in a certain way by the people who work for him. Um, that you know some of his impulses have to be checked by others. And, you know, the question is, is that something that he wants or is he eventually going to run out of people who will work for him and continue to do these right things? You know, we don't know exactly to what extent these other people are necessary as buffers to keep us from harm, for example. Right. Um, now, so, that, that's probably part of the consideration. Trump's personality. In other words, these people like McGahn understood that Trump was the kind of guy who might just blow off steam and say something he didn't matter. I don't know that that's a good thing. I don't know that it's a good thing that the White House counsel, the president's premier lawyer, is thinking to himself, is the president really serious when he asks me to, you know, uh, get someone to unrecuse themselves or to say something deceptively? Uh, does the president really mean that? 
uh, for the White House lawyer to be in that quandary is not a good thing. Well, and moreover, I mean, is it indicate that he didn't have an actual uh, serious intent to follow through? Well, and if you apply that to so many of the things that he tweets out to the world, you know, he's going to do this or that to different media outlets. He's going to do this or that to the social media platforms, you know, all these things. And my take is, you know, especially if somebody is going to put it in writing and put it out there on a public forum like Twitter, that you take it seriously. But there's so many people who are willing to say, oh, you know, he's he's not really going to do any of these right. things that you're concerned about right. based on a straight reading of the language and the tweet. Right. So there's a, okay, let's, so, so you now basically, cause again, I, I'll, I'll just give you my take on this whole thing. Right. Cause I have, I have published headlines about all of this investigation and everything. And I've just kind of sat back to wait and see what happens. Yeah. And um, my take was, okay, probably maybe there's not going to be anything there and that there is a lot of politics in keeping this going. And, you know, they had the hearings today and it's more of the politics. Um, but there's one thing that I remember reading that as far as I know, hasn't been refuted and I'll check it with you that has made me not have much respect for him and his campaign. Um, you know, with respect to this issue of Russia and Russian influence. And maybe all the politicians are bad on this axis, right? So, you know, <laughs> Hillary would have been just as bad or whatever. But Trump Jr., in that email to that Russian woman, whatever she was up to, if she was real, she was going to offer something or not, it was a setup, whatever it was, it doesn't matter, right? Um, she presents herself as wanting to meet with them to give them dirt on Hillary Clinton. And Trump Jr. says, if that's what it is, I love it. And he's excited to have this meeting. So question being, if, if they're welcoming of this, and of course there probably would be a quid pro quo that would be discussed in a meeting when, if there was dirt given, uh, that's a little bit concerning to me. And so it's not like, I was strongly on Trump's side. You know, you give me all this information. I say, okay, yeah, it sounds like maybe Trump wasn't guilty of any of this, as far as we could tell, that there was no solid case, neither of the collusion or the obstruction. But I didn't have any real horse in the game, can you understand, just from knowing that about the Trump Jr. meeting. What, what's your take on that? I'm with you there. I really had no particular uh, horse and dog in this fight. The Trump meeting, again, what it displays is that maybe uh, Donald Trump Jr. was, at the time, thought that there was nothing wrong, would have been nothing wrong, and wanted even to at the time. But we're going to need more than that. Sure, Um, sure, to make a case. If that were the case, then, of course, uh, Congressman Schiff, who's right now, uh, or at least has been, uh, doing the afternoon session, uh, chairing the uh, House Judiciary Committee on this subject, he himself took a phone call from someone who purported to be a Russian who's going to give dirt on Trump. And Adam Schiff said, give it to me. This is wonderful, wonderful. Oh, no. So now we've got Adam Schiff saying, literally, they have him on tape, Adam Schiff saying to a guy with a thick Russian accent, I'm from Russia, I've got dirt on Trump, and I'm happy to do it. If that was enough, if the Donald Trump yeah. Jr. saying, yeah, hey. No, no, I, did, I don't think it's enough to make a case. It's enough That's for exactly me it. to lose respect. Oh, totally. I, and like you say, the loss of respect is well earned on both sides. And again, it goes back to the name of, of our show, None of the Above. Sure. Uh, the, it's really horrific. The Obama Justice Department uh, and FBI at the end there was 
the about the most correct, and I believe me, I'm aware of the shenanigans of J. Edgar Hoover and the dark history of the FBI, but really under the leadership of James Comey and uh, Loretta Lynch, uh, the Obama Justice Department reached real lows in the ghastly way they exonerated, obviously exonerated Hillary, giving out immunity to her friends like, you know, it was candy, and then following up with nothing, prosecutorial irresponsibility on the face of it. Yes. Um, the firing of Comey was not an obstruction. The firing of Comey could only be the advancement of justice, <laughs> however it was done. Uh, so that's disturbing, too, on that side. But right. Trump, obviously, is not a person of good intent when it comes to these things. He said many times that uh, he wanted, in effect, to interfere with this investigation. He gives his opinion on cases that always disturbs me. But then again, yes. previous presidents have, too. I was taught as a prosecutor. You shut up about your opinion. You said, make your case in court. Yes. And I just don't like it when Trump has his crowds chanting, lock her up. As much as I disapprove of the way Hillary Clinton wasn't investigated, lock her up, lock her up is just not, I mean, if he's going to be the top law enforcement officer of the land, he should cool that off. <laughs> yes, yes, because there is this little thing in legal ethics that we learn that you should not be doing mm. this. Okay, so- now, um, you know, again, I've really sort of just been putting this on the back burner is not so important and just sort of disgusted also with the politics of it all that it just drags on and on. So I just sort of make fun of it, you know, any sort of a, uh, kind of variations on the theme of nothing burger that I can <laughs> every story that comes out and I have fun with it. And that's all it is for me. So, you know, people, every time I put some variation on a theme of nothing burger out there, I have all the Trump you know, apologists come to my thread and blah, 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 and, you know, New York, New York Times and this and that. I'm just having fun and waiting to see what happens. But now, so you're telling me there's no case. He completed his investigation. There's really no case. This really is politics. And maybe we can actually just talk about substance, substance ah, policy. My goodness. And yes. focus on that, which is, <laughs> it's, it's mostly what I focused on anyway. But as I said, sometimes I have had fun. I admit it with variations on the theme of nothing murder. <laughs> well, you know, resistant. if I have one last thought on this, yes. I, I, have, I smell all kinds of odors coming from the Trump camp. But once again, the partisan politicians, it seems to me, were investigating something that probably wasn't going to lead anywhere when they should have been focusing on a ver various other things. Like, like what, his tr building Trump Tower there and something like that, The right? Trump family's ongoing profit yeah. from the pr president's becoming president bothers me. Great. And I, I, the latest thing I heard on that kind of, you know, in inappropriate business interests was that Trump was staying his hand a little with respect to China because people were seeking trademarks in China for his daughter's Ivanka Trump brand or something. For fashion line, yeah. Is it, have you heard this one too? I've heard that, that too. Okay. I don't know. I'm, I'm so just not looking at this because my preference is to focus on the man's policies right. and lack of principle in particular. This in fact, the weaponizing of this, the weaponizing of corruption and scandal politically is part of the problem, you know, and it is a plague on both your houses at this point. My gosh. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, I, I agree with that. So 
given what you saw in the hearing today, do you think that we are nearing the end of this being front page news all the time and distracting everybody from the issues that really matter? I think this is, from what I saw, it must be a big disappointment to the left. But I do not have any confidence that they're going to let go of that impeachment uh, bone. Uh, they've got so many other things that they think he's illegitimate and corrupt on. For example, his recent uh, tweet, go, go, you know, go home and then come back and tell us how to do it to these uh, four Congress yeah, ladies. Yes. With all that other stuff, they're saying, look, he's a bigot as it is. I mean, he's an anti-immigrant bigot. And he, the fact that he focused on women of color shows his inner racism. So there are, uh, they had a recent vote in the House on impeachment that failed disastrously. 300-some mm -hmm. Congress people voted against it. Right. Uh, but there's still there's still a, a very enthusiastic crowd there. I don't think is going to let go of this. Okay. Okay. So we are still going to see more of this politics. That's just I suspect sad. so. So how fortunate that I start a show today with <laughs> you, a former prosecutor, to give us succinctly in in a way that I can comprehend because as much as oh I have a law degree haha ha, um, I've never been a prosecutor so I can never look at it through the lens that you can and you explained it so well so thank you for that um, how lucky do I feel today I feel I mean this is amazing you know I feel I don't know if you ever saw it I did the I should have done a, a test of this with you before today I'm I'm so sorry Jim um, but I did a test of a call-in feature on Zoom the day before I had Ben Shapiro on because I had only 10 minutes with him and it would have been just consumed with technical difficulties if I had any problems. So the day that I did that, the person who happened to call in was the legislator, Josh Yokella. I don't know if that's how we, I pronounce his name. I'm, I'm botching it now. It's been a couple months. But he is the New Hampshire state legislator who happens also to be a fan of my show and everything. And he was doing some cool things that were in the news even. And so he just happens to call it. So, so how lucky. I'm sorry, Jim. Thank you. That I get it's to one of those synchronicities in life. There's, there's a lot of synchronicity out there. And I, Call, calling Carl Jung. I, I just, you know, I think in all of the ways that we pursue values, that we just sort of send these tentacles out there. And so the synchronicity is not some divine hand working. <laughs> it is the logical consequence. No, of no, no. I heard your discussion with Iran yesterday. Yeah. I, there, it, I, I think he's totally wrong. There's a plot out there. <laughs> they were behind our technical difficulties this morning. <laughs> Clearly there's a plot out there. <laughs> YouTube and Facebook are colluding. Right. <laughs> well, let's give her that beta. That beta is going to confuse her. Right. We know it is. She's, she's kind of good technically, but Rubbing she can handle this. <laughs> That looks like a stream key. It really does. Um, I don't know what it was. Anyway, we are here. Let's go on to our next item then. That was amazing that you were able to do that. So uh, I would say efficiently. Ooh, thank you. So next story is one that I brought up with Yaron yesterday and then it hit front page news on New York Times today because they have now announced it. Facebook agrees to extensive new oversight as part of a $5 billion settlement with the FTC. And yesterday I was talking about this issue with Iran from the standpoint of privacy and 
privacy just based on a lot of my academic research is a tremendous value to me. It's something that I always have my eyes on. And, you know, in particular, I see social media and government takeover of social media as a fast track to Orwell's 1984. So I've just got my hackles up whenever I see something like this. And in fact, there was the agreement between FTC and Facebook back in 2011. And when I did my show, I warned that this was going to be bad news for Facebook, that this was the way for the government to get its claws into Facebook, because there was a 20-year monitoring period in there. You think the federal government can't figure out some way to say that a company has messed up sometime during a 20-year period and then come back and take a bigger piece of the pie for themselves? Of course they did. So here they are, and they're slapping a $5 billion fine on them, which is a huge amount of money that I can't even fathom. It is unprecedented in terms of fining the companies. The FTC commissioners are patting themselves on the back because they're showing that they're going to be tough, you know, on the tech people, which is just vomit inducing, basically, as far as I, yeah. you know, oh, it's gross to see these bureaucrats you were right you were right years ago that was the camel under the noses tent and what we're seeing now what you said yesterday is exactly correct it's just like the government bureaucrat hanging out now at reardon steel or taggart transcontinental telling them what they can do and getting the information that the government needs uh that is exactly well, and, and that's what i'm trying to figure out right so yeah. i have not been able to find the oh wait here it says under the agreement okay now i've got a link to the agreement i think they updated this because earlier i was looking for it ftc.gov okay so I, there i don't know how long this is and whether i can read it on the fly i'll tell you what i'm looking for right my litmus test my litmus test is do we have somebody du jour right because your own yesterday was saying hey de facto as a matter of fact the government can get whatever it wants on you via Facebook or anybody else somehow, somehow. And my concern is, is it de jour in the sense that does it have legitimate approval that has been institutionalized, memorialized, say, in the form of this agreement? And the thing that I'm watching for is, do they have somebody who is a you know person from the government who has permanent access to Facebook where their access to the data that Facebook has is restrained only by their own integrity or you know whatever the latest piece of legislation is from Congress or whatever the latest vote of the FTC commissioners is that you know there's there's basically you know oh yeah well we have access to Facebook's data but we are not going to use it in <laughs> any more than Facebook did when they gave it to Cambridge Analytica Right. Well, well, the logic that I don't get is, well, the government will come in and fix it. We all know that, you know, it's like de Blasio on the utilities in New York with the blackouts. Oh, government will take over and that'll, we won't have any more problems with the government. They won't release, they've never released information improperly. No, 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 no. So it seems weird. So Facebook improperly gives information to Cambridge Analytica that yes. maybe they shouldn't have given. So part of the settlement decree is, no, no, now we can get to watch what you're doing. And that seems to imply exactly what you said. That would have to imply that they have access to the information, certainly well, okay. inf information they share. 
Well, this is the thing, right? So I think that it is possible. And from what I understand, uh, you know, I am friends with Brian Amrich, who right. used to work for a Facebook. Hero, yeah. Yeah. Oh, I mean, he's excellent. Yeah. And unfortunately, he had to leave Facebook because he could no longer handle the political climate there. But one thing that he told me, and I take him straight on this, which is that Facebook really does value preserving customers privacy in the sense that they want it all for themselves at least (laughs) (laughs) they'll make the money on it but you know basically you can trust them and that for instance that within the company um Mm -hmm. you know the employees couldn't go into your data for example Mm -hmm. that there was a lot of controls on that at least most of the employees couldn't go in (laughs) most right so there's like very few people and they've got the special keys whatever right right and I bet they yeah. do resent having to share it when they're not selling it to Cambridge Analytica. <laughs> but when it comes What's to the that? government, you wonder what they're going to get back from the government. Are these regulations? Well, what they're getting is the, you know, new competition and so forth. Well, what they're getting is the government says, hey, we won't go, you know, right now we're, I mean, this is the thing, right? So the, right now they've just instituted this antitrust against I guess Facebook and some of the other tech companies, is yes. that correct? The big tech, there are several of the big tech companies that so, go on after it looks like. The, the next step is, hey, we'll hold off the pack of hungry wolves. <laughs> and mm. in exchange, you're going to give us the back door to all your data, Facebook, right? This is the thing that I worry about. And I mean, if we're basically there, then what we need to start talking about is whether you need to either totally delete your Facebook account or you need to have very strict ideas of what you share with Facebook and and announce it loudly that you disapprove of this sort of arrangement and that that's why you are limiting, for instance, you know, maybe I'm going to scale back my Facebook involvement to what Yaron does, right? Right. Um, don't put the personal stuff on there. Maybe don't have the app on your phone because that's how it gathers so much information about you, et cetera, right? We need to think about these things, not because, oh, they're going to get all of our information because as Jerome says, if they really wanted to get it, they probably could somehow get it now. But once it's been institutionalized, right? Once it's right. been institutionalized, we need to stand up and, and protest. Yes. On principle. Right? If it's not censorship, and I agree that what Google or Facebook or uh, Wikipedia or Amazon does, that can't be censorship. They're private companies, uh, and they're certainly subject to competition. If someone wanted to open up, you know, hang out their shingle and open up a new Facebook, and people are, from Jordan Peterson to, uh, you know, various left-wing people, uh, open up your own Facebook, have your own platform, make your own rules if you don't like uh, Facebook's rules. But given the situation right now, we do have to be ultra conscious. Um, well, not so like you're on. Let's, let's shift though to because you're talking about censorship, and the reason that these controls, the specific privacy monitoring, is coming down on Facebook right now is that supposedly Facebook committed some sort of a fraud or misrepresentation with respect to what it was doing with the information, what sort right. of privacy features were available for those of us who are using Facebook, et cetera. Um, and so my point that I made back in 2011, make it again now, is that if it's true 
that Facebook is guilty of some of this. I mean, you could even see that there might be a legitimate reason to have something like the FTC where you have specialists. Mm. Well, okay, no, Federal we, Trade Commission, okay. I'm well, not okay. sure should even well, exist. Okay, okay, okay. I said something, something like, and I'll, I'll tell you. Something I'll tell like. You, I'll tell, well, I'll tell well, you. I don't function. understand well, no, why me, those no, who are hurt. Let me tell you the function. Okay. Let me tell you the function and then finish the thought first. Okay. So um, the function is to determine when there is actually fraud or misrepresentation in this type of business context. What amounts to it with respect to, a, you know, a user of a platform like this, right? But suppose right. that there was, suppose you determined there is this fraud that Facebook yeah. is guilty of it. Right. And that there's some sort of harm to consumers as a result. Then but, take them to court. To, well, or take them to court. Or, you take them to court. If it's court. criminal fraud, the government, U.S. attorney can file charges. And I don't mind there being a federal law since it's interstate uh, stuff. Uh, I'm not, we'd have to think about the interstate commerce clause implications or state. Sure. But if it's a civil matter, uh, why can't the people who have had their information violated in uh, violation of the agreement they had with Facebook? Well, if it really was in violation of that agreement. See, part of me is suspicious about this because it's not a lawsuit where people would have to prove, hey, someone was hurt there and this is how they were hurt. And this was the agreement they violated or the law or the lie they told to get them to give the information which they gave out improperly. Um, so, uh, you know, call me an old-fashioned common law lawyer. Seems to me that the person harmed uh, should be the one suing for money if they were monetarily damaged, and the government should be able to take have uh, file criminal charges in cases where it really is intentional malicious fraud by the company against a bunch of people. Sure, and as it is now, the people have been given this recourse, which is to go to the Federal Trade Commission with their complaints. So, mm. so, <laughs> so that makes me very suspicious because the Federal Trade Commission's um, purpose is much broader than that. They're, they're out there to protect consumer interests in a much broader mandate than merely sure, finding sure. who was and, harmed and lied to and things like and, that. And we, we could have the debate about that at a different time, but my only point is that if, if that's the harm, if that's what's happened, then you go ahead and have Facebook pay back the victims for that particular harm. And then Facebook, it's got the slap on the wrist that it needed. It goes about its business. You don't install government oversight. And, you know, mm. before it was for a period of 20 years. And now who mm. knows? I don't know how long this is. Again, I've got the, um, I've got the agreement up. And the one thing I'm going to show, the thing that strikes you when you go to the agreement link right away, there's a little diagram. I just took a little screen grab of it. <laughs> I just can't help it. Um, so they they talk about, look how big a fine we put on Facebook. And they they make a graphic out of it. So they have this little tiny black square, $148 million in states versus Uber. Then they have a little bit bigger blue square and it's $230 million for British authority versus British airways as a proposal. Right, right. <laughs> then there's a little bit bigger red circle and it's CFPB and states versus Equifax, right? About the brief. Oh yeah, yeah. So that was a big one. Next yeah. to those three, and it look—it looks like you know the planets or something next to Jupiter. Which, <laughs> <right>? <laughs> the billions <laughs> for Facebook. <laughs> Jupiter. How did they even determine that? 
I really wonder how they even determined the, the five billion or whatever it is that, that well, they're settled okay. for. So, so this is the, the thing, right? The thing is it's supposed to actually harm Facebook enough for them to sit up and take notice and mend their ways, right? <laughs> right. It's supposed to add Facebook. You bad Facebook. <laughs> so that's what it's supposed to be. But um, some people say it's not big enough. And then when people say it's not big enough, they will cite one of two figures, which is the actual annual amount that they take in, which is, I guess, 56 billion something. And then the actual net that they have after all the expenses and who knows what is 20 some odd billion. So it's like a fraction of that. But they're saying, no, it should be, you know, some multiples like, 50 billion or something is what people are saying it should be to actually make so it's how big and profitable the company is it's the only thing that matters not the harm they cause to people hmm that makes me very dubious yeah i mean we you know punitive damages is a topic for another show as well right (laughs) um yeah it's supposed to make them feel the pain anyway the money is not my big focus my big focus with this again is what sort of oversight and scares what, the bejesus out of me that they're going to have a government person there at all who really must have access to some of their information um the information that would be relevant to wrongfully sharing it which seems to me to be pretty much open okay so there is a new 20-year settlement order it overhauls the way company makes privacy decisions by boosting the transparency of decision making and holding Facebook accountable via overlapping channels of compliance. So then they have another helpful diagram, (laughs) gears and wheels and stuff. That's all we want, you know? Mm. So they've got an independent privacy compliance committee interlocking with the CEO, interlocking with compliance officers. And then you have on the outside, a third party assessor. Um, now uh, it creates greater accountability at the board of directors level, independent privacy committee of Facebook's board of directors, removing unfettered control by Zuckerberg over decisions affecting user privacy. Well, okay. there it is. There it is. That's censorship. Facebook has lost control over their user agreement over their platform. Yes. That's censorship. Yes. Yes. That's Orwell, plain and simple. Government is now telling. Okay, so let me let me read it again. Again, I'm, re- I'm reading from the FTC's own website, and said right. what it says is they are making Facebook change the way they do business in the following way: establishes an independent privacy committee of Facebook's board of directors, removing unfettered control by Facebook's CEO Mark Zuckerberg over decisions affecting user privacy. Hmm. So the the boss of the company, the CEO and the board of directors no longer control the company. Yeah, the yes, government yes. does. Now let's see, who, let's, see, <laughs> let's see who's on the committee. It says members of the privacy committee must be independent and will be appointed by an independent nominating committee. Hmm. Members can only be fired by a super majority of the Facebook board of directors. Hmm. Hmm. That's all I see in here. Now, who is the independent nominating committee is the thing you want to know. And then, of course, we know that there have been various government requirements placed on boards of directors of businesses generally, including in the state of California. I don't know if you know this. There is mandated a certain percentage. Is it 20% women on boards of directors in the state of California? Something like that. They've recently passed such a law. Yeah. So no business has 
total control over who is on their board of directors anymore anyway. Right. right. So now between that and requiring a super majority of your board of directors in order to fire anybody on this committee that's now taking over your privacy, they're going to have government stooges in there like that. That. And I'd ask you to consider not just that their policies are now being determined by someone other than the company, but look at the cost of compliance for this regulation. Every other Facebook-like uh, platform will be no doubt sub subject to the same sort of rules. And when Congress gets around to regulating this, this settlement uh, decree will probably set the stage, the model for legislation for uh, future uh, platforms like Facebook. Well, you're going to have to have this committee, and this committee is going to have to have someone from the government, and you can only fire someone from the committee on a supermajority. They're sort of setting up the mechanism, aren't they? And given the cost of compliance, this will make it harder for people to compete with Facebook. Let me suggest that that's something that Facebook is getting out of this. It's going to be harder to set up your own shingle and compete with Facebook, reducing the number of free speech alternatives on the Internet. That's, a, that's going to be a direct impact of uh, this complex thing that they're making Facebook go through. Because Facebook's going to say, hey, look, shouldn't every other social media platform have to comply in the same way? And shouldn't that be the basis of future legislation and regulation? Oh, certainly. I mean, and actually Facebook will push for it because the cost of compliance for them is something that they want to have be a startup cost of any competitor. So right. It's ridiculous. Let me read you more alarming language from this because you know you wanted this today. You wanted some yes. nice, bad news. So the order also strengthens external oversight of Facebook. And again, I'm reading from the FTC website where they are bragging about what they've been able to skin off the hide of Facebook. Okay. Right. So it strengthens external oversight. It says the order enhances the independent third-party assessor's ability to evaluate the effectiveness of Facebook's privacy program and identify any gaps. And then it goes on and it explains in this alarming way. Listen to this. It says... The assessor's biennial assessments of Facebook's privacy program must be based on the assessor's independent fact gathering, sampling, and testing, and must not rely primarily on assertions or, or attestations. How do you say that word? Help <laughs> me out. Attestations. <laughs> by Facebook management. In other words, the thing that I was hoping for naively, which is that Facebook would still retain control over the data is gone. Gone. They will have that by that assertion, they will have to have access to any data basically they want. They won't even have to rely on Facebook and what they represent about the data. No, no, I am the third party independent person. I have access and I'm not going to rely on what Facebook says. That's what I just heard there. Yes. Yes. So whereas before it was, okay, well, we'll show you, you know, maybe they were able to get away with this. This is what I assume Facebook has been able to do in the past is we will explain to you what our policies are. We'll show you sort of the skeleton of it, but you're not going to have access to the data itself. It looks like they're getting into it, that this yeah. assessor, now this assessor person is approved and also, um, you know, would have to be fired only by the FTC, it looks like as well. Mm -hmm. uh, a government stooge. Yeah, approved or removed. Who really only FTC. answers to the FTC. And it says, importantly, the independent assessor will be required to report directly to the new privacy board committee on a quarterly basis, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, so it's there. 
No, no, you saw this coming, Amy, and you really are the most insightful legal voice on this topic out there, I have to say. I want to salute you and hats off to you. You saw this coming and you understand the law on this better than anyone out there. I say I'm this not, as a lawyer. I'm not happy about this because I know no. what this... Um... Oh, what this portends yes. is a nightmare. We all thought that the internet, and perhaps the internet is creating a, um, a medium by which the world can now communicate more easily. But boy, we already see the, the icy hand of government controlling that, restricting the information flow, determining what these social, pla uh, social media platforms get, can and cannot actually do. Very disturbing. I'm gonna, um, I mean, it's, it's futile from what I understand from Brian Amaridge. Um, but I had my little video that I did with a show with your own about my social media fantasy, which was that when Zuckerberg got wind of the fact that Trump was going to make him bake Trump's cake, right? You know, Zuckerberg, go bake my cake. That Zuckerberg was going to have somewhere in the back room, the big red button. And it's what I call a shrug button. And he would just hit that button. And all of us who are totally addicted to Facebook and go there 50 billion times a day, um, 50 billion, because that's the, right? Not, not, right. not just 5 billion, 50 billion. Mm. So we go there and we just see a single page website in the most rudimentary graphics ever. No pretty Facebook user interface and blah, blah, blah. And it just says, you know, come and take it the way I found it. It's yours. <laughs> right. Just gone. Poof. <laughs> that's what should happen. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, yeah. I don't think it's going to happen. Mm, no, you know? that's the least likely. <laughs> I hate to, I'm laughing because it's, yeah, you kind of have to laugh when you're, we know you're about to hit the bottom. I, I'm afraid that's so the I, least likely. We, I think we have to really serious. I'm going to have to yeah. work on your own again because I was talking to him about this yesterday and he was saying, oh, you know, so privacy is just like anything else. They've got government stooges for everything. And I'm telling you, this is, this Plat, you know, social media, Facebook is just the first that they're getting their claws into this way. As you yeah. say, they're going to use this as a template for all the other platforms. The, the antitrust lawsuit is going to be their way to oh, yeah. force this on all the rest of them, right? Yeah. Um, See, currently, you were mentioning my book, currently Creating Christ, it's still available in hard and paperback versions, and it's still a version, uh, available in the audio version, but the uh, Kindle version, the uh, ebook the e version that, that, that Amazon sells, is not available and all it takes is, a, I guess, a single, we had explained to us, a single customer complaint uh, about technical issues or something. And obviously, it's not the technical issues. The ebook has been out longer than the other versions have three years and no one complained. Yeah. Uh, we highly suspect that it was someone who has ideological disagreements with us. Um, we really can't figure out any technical dis, you know, reasons. So it's a kind of a bogus claim on the face of it. So it really must be someone who doesn't like a controversial book on religion. And gee, there's probably a bunch of people out there like that. Uh, but that's all it takes. And for now, more than a week, it's not been available uh, through Amazon. Um, that's not censorship. It's, but as you put it yesterday, it's very poor marketing. They're not selling something yeah, that was selling well. <laughs> I mean, you are in effect also a customer of Amazon, you right. are a customer in, you know, in terms of their, you know, marketing platform that you are 
using to to sell your own goods. So they have customers on both ends. They have right. Trying to well, sell as much as it goods. irritates me, and as much as you know, I'm I'm upset about it. I would never call it censorship. I would say they're stupid marketing because that was the uh, version of the book that was selling the hottest. So being the cheapest. So. Well, um, and then the other question is, you know, if it if that's what all it takes to get it off the platform how long does the appeal process take before you have somebody intelligent there who will come in and judge fairly? Are there really technical issues? Well, like Yaron said yesterday, when does an actual human being get plugged in? Yes. I've had um, fans and friends call customer service at Amazon getting two different stories and back talk and saying it was probably just one customer complaint. I've had people writing in. Um, so they've said they've started a process, but you know, Lord only knows how long that process is going to take until some human looks at it and says, duh. Yeah. I mean, I don't think that the volume of books for sale on Amazon is the same as the volume of accounts on Facebook that could be reported speciously. Right. But, you know, right. if you're, you're going to have to keep us posted on that. Yeah. I will. So, <laughs> We're fighting. So we, yeah, we are. We are going to have to. The fact that it's not censorship doesn't mean that we have to like, and there's a whole separate issue there, that we have to like Facebook's policies. Mm -hmm. If Facebook's policies, as opposed to say what the government is forcing them to do, become so obnoxious and per pernicious to me that I just want to leave, I'll just leave. But that's a customer decision that I make. I just don't like the rules of this platform. And so I'll go to some other platform. Yes. Um, yeah. And you just have to decide whether the value that the platform provides is worth putting up with the poor customer service and its effects occasionally. Right. And that's what I had sort of resigned myself to yesterday. And then my big question was what's going to happen with this. And of course now this is, this is quite ominous. And, and, and it's a little more ominous than uh, some people think uh, because, you know, as you pointed out in the podcast yesterday, a lot of people, especially younger people use it for social interaction. And there are very personal conversations and very personal photographs that are being sent out, uh, you know, via these social media sites. Um, but it's, you, you're on is right, though, about this. My mother told me as a kid, never, ever, ever put something even in a private communication that you wouldn't be comfortable seeing on the front page of the newspaper the next right. day. Yes, that's true. So I keep my Facebook interactions like you're on kind of, I, I do say, do personal things. If I had a good time last night, I'll share the pictures or something or sure. happy anniversary to the wife I love or something. But apart from that, it's pretty much uh, intellectual engagement and professional uh, reasons that I'm on Facebook at all. Right. Yes. So I, we all maybe have to rethink what we're doing, but moreover, if we are going to modify, if we're going to either leave Facebook or, um, you know, modify how we use Facebook, then I think we also need to make a statement as to why, because if you're going to stand on principle, you need to actually state that and explain it to the world. It's just as, you know, in a case, the one that came to my mind, sorry, my mind works in strange ways, but you know, if you're going to war, for example, you're a country, you're going to war, you're not just going to go bomb somebody. If you have any integrity at all, you're going to say, we're justified in bombing Iran and here's why. And you'll make some sort of a, a statement where you 
talk about the case that you have for self-defense. It's that South Park joke. No one ever leaves social media without make, posting a big, long post about why they're leaving it social have media. To be long. I mean, hell, I can just... No, I agree. I agree. Tell, you know, this one part of this FTC website that I'm looking at and say, here's why I'm out of here. Right. I agree. Uh, so, I mean, you know, I'm translating it slightly here, but I think anybody who reads this can see that a government stooge is being installed. Right. That's exactly right. That's basically what's happening. And Facebook is losing control over its own policies about sharing information. And that's the thing that is most important to stave off 1984. Because as I've talked about before, this is a platform that not only disseminates information, it collects information about us. It is, in effect, the screens that were on the wall of every room in Orwell's 1984, both you know, transmitting. See, I, I love things like Spotify and the little gnomes out there. I will listen to music on Spotify and somehow the, these computer programs out there are, are, are paying attention to the kind of music that I'm liking and listening to. And I appreciate them when they recommend, hey, if you like that, you might like this. And a lot of the time, I'd say at least half the time, they're right. It's like yes. I appreciate those little gnomes there who are looking into my private account on Spotify and providing information. It would disturb me a great deal, however, if some secret government agency or some secret government court knew all that stuff and was learning about my our aesthetic preferences. That yes. would bug me. Yes, because any information that they have about you could potentially be used against you. And of course, now there's technology that exists you remember reading some Facebook articles about this where they would actually try to manipulate your thinking via what they would feed you in your feed. Scary and stuff. And so, <laughs> so imagine that's a tool that's in the hands of government, not in the hands of business. That's one. Exactly. That. At least you, well. at least I can identify that Mark Zuckerberg has a certain kind of politics that I would distrust. And so I'm kind of suspicious in a way about Facebook policies. If the government's in there, there's nothing for me to be suspicious of. It's, we're just being told the way it's gonna be and I may not even know. No, it's, and there, you know, the, there's also just the principle that government, because it does have this monopoly on the legitimized use of force against people, that it should not have access to any data about us except by a warrant. And you know all about warrants as a prosecutor. They need to be based on probable cause and particularized suspicion. Specific information, a specific crime and reason why you have specific reason to think that the search there will yield it. Yes. So, yeah. And it, yeah, and it's, and it's already been the case that the government feels entitled to go to Facebook or Apple or anybody else with things that are less than a warrant that aren't based on probable cause or particular suspicion. They feel entitled to go get information about you from them anyway, because of this thing that I talk about the third party doctrine, right. but you know, they're not obviously satisfied with that. They want to have the guy in there, the stooge who could, access that and what bothers me so is that both sides appear to demand you know both the left and the right don't appear to be concerned about the free speech issue here at all or the private property issues here at all when you're disappointing from the right and disappointing the left doesn't care about the free speech issues yes. uh it's really kind of disturbing you hear the right now kind of demanding political censorship 
Um, what really bothers me uh, when I hear conservatives like Tucker Carlson say, well, look, Google is sort of putting their thumb on the scale politically, or Facebook is putting their thumb on the scale politically. Well, guess what? They can. They do. That's their private platform. And, you know, way before there was an internet, there were really only three major television networks in the, in the 60s and the 70s. And they basically gave a uniform product, which gave the same sort of uniform bias. And that's where 80% of the American people got their information. So, and there was no internet as, even as an option. People said, well, people aren't reading newspapers anymore. Well, newspapers had biases too. And people chose from between uh, newspapers. The mere fact that so many people use uh, say, Facebook or use Google is beside the point. We now have Fox News. We now have newspapers. We now have radio shows. The, it, it, to pretend that Facebook somehow has this all-powerful political monopoly is even dumber, in my view, than the argument that was made about the networks back in the 60s. Well, and so then here's the question too, right? So that all this huge apparatus of regulation and oversight is looming over the tech sector now. It's, yeah. it's probably going to be installed. It's being installed in Facebook because the FTC finagled its way in there, like I said, and I warned about it back in 2011. This was coming. This is coming. Here it is. Right. Um, God, I can't believe it. Okay, so the next step is what we've seen in China, right? Yeah. Or I think we've also seen it to some extent in Britain where you are actually required to have an account for certain things. Like, I don't know in Britain, okay, the thing I heard was not that you're required to have an account, and this has been a long time, I don't have a citation for it, I have to go look it up, but I remember hearing that they would accept identification that you used, you know, like you flash them your Facebook account or something to collect on social programs mm -hmm. in Britain. Now, I think in China, Obviously, they have that social credit system that we've read about in the news. So many of us have read about. Right. But you know, uh, the next step is they mandate that you have an account. Right now, we can get off Facebook. Right. I can delete my account. I don't have to participate. My God, are they going to make us you know, like Obamacare with health insurance? Are they going to make us? You see, that, that was always part of the disturbing thing of Social Security. I need to go to the government, sign up, get a number, register for them. They've got a file on me now. Um, so now it's just not my taxes. It's my, you know, <laughs> Social Security and everything else. And then the census uh, data. Now what you're going to tell me is I have to join a social media platform. I have to so that they can monitor me. That's truly disturbing. Yeah, truly disturbing. It's Totalitarian. Not, it's not here yet. Not here yet. But it is a step away. But why not? Wouldn't it be easier for the government to collect their taxes, do the census, do all kinds of things if they had, if they made us log into some site, a government site or a, an approved social media site, so that we could do all that. Uh, inquire of DMV about our registration and license. All the little government, we got a hunting license. Wouldn't it be so much easier if the government had this clearinghouse that they could identify all that? They'd probably keep our medical records there nice and safe too, right? <laughs> I mean, Apple's been doing it, right? So, right. you know, Apple's got everything going in its phones now that you can have, um, you know, all your health data in addition to all your financial data. And is, I think if Apple's going to have its own cryptocurrency in addition to Apple Pay and all those stuff, or no, maybe not cryptocurrency. I think they were just thinking of getting into banking generally. But many of the big platforms are going to have their own 
cryptocurrencies. Uh, they're working on it at least actively. So. Right, right. So anyway, I have, to, I have to think about it. I have to think about it. I'm going to have to work on your own a little bit more. I don't <laughs> think that he values privacy as something that is, you know, and the privacy with respect to these companies to the extent that I do, maybe because of the type of user that he is, but I think also he, I, I just have to make the case better to him. Well, assuming that the government's going to get it anyway, sort of already gives away the case. I mean, I, you know, the fact is we probably should assume that the government is getting it just for our own, you know, privacy and self-interest. The government does have theoretical access. Do be cautious when you communicate anything over an old fashioned landline telephone or an old fashioned letter, yeah. <laughs> you know, of course, be cautious in your communications. But the fact that the government, he's assuming that the government already does this is not a moral for justification for the government doing it. Right. We can't just simply, oh, okay, let them do it because, you know, accept it because, gee, just because it's an important social media communication platform uh, doesn't mean we should just swallow it and accept it. No, no. And so, of course, I have my efforts with the third party doctrine. You go get them, Amy. <laughs> well, no, but, but is that moot if, you know, you just have a government stooge installed into these things anyway? Well, I agree with you there. If it's a government regulation, I can't really take it out on the company. But so often the company is in cahoots with the government to keep out competition or to have an arrangement that well, serves both of them. You know, that's what you wonder if they mm. have been selling that to Zuckerberg and Zuckerberg is buying a little bit of it because he is not consistent philosophically. He sure seemed it. to be welcoming it the last time he testified before Congress. And we don't know why. We don't know behind the scenes or whatever. I do know that, you know, Facebook should have had me come and consult them on all sorts of policy issues. They should ago. do that every time. Amy Peacock should be on that committee. <laughs> Well, okay, I don't want to be on a government stooge committee. As and when, if you have veto power, but you know, once Facebook no longer has control over the policy of its own company, I don't want to be part of that. You know, the the quotation from Rand doing the Ayn Rand bot has just been such a a treasure trove for me. Congratulations for getting that back on Facebook, Um, by the way. I'm so glad I did. But the quotation that came to mind was one that just was tweeted out the other day. It was, if you make friends with slaves while they're still slaves, basically you're, I can't remember the way she worded it. I'm sorry right now. Maybe my brain's not working so great. But, you know, the point is, if you make friends with slaves while they're still slaves, that you are condoning the slavery, that you are part of it, you're complicit in it. And insofar as being friendly about it, well, if if the ship has sailed, if Facebook has agreed to this with the FTC, then they're beyond anything that I could provide them and retain integrity. That's all. Agreed. It's sad. Um, Very sad. Anyway, so we are actually normally we would end the show about now. My question for you is, can you stay a little bit longer because oh, of wow. technical difficulties? Are you okay? Sure. So normally everybody- We're we just have getting warmed up. <laughs> I know. Normally, we could talk all day and it's really- Yeah, scary. <laughs> so, um, normally we'd go about 90 minutes is the way I envision it. And so maybe we'll end up going about 90 minutes today having accounted for about 20 minutes or so of technical difficulties. I, again, I apologize for that. Let me go to the program notes again, go to don'tletitgo.com. That is where I've got those notes and 
I've got to click back to them through all the various chain of clicking that I did to get to the FTC agreement. Okay, so here I am back at don'tletitgo.com. Next on the list, China. Hey, talk about bad news. Um, okay, so China, there, there have been protests in Hong Kong against the extent of centralized control. Are these protests specific as to a particular control or is it more? Well, they really initiate, it was initiated by the extradition treaty that China was sort of demanding of Hong Kong. Oh, right, 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 that's what it was, okay. And uh, uh, citizens of Hong Kong don't necessarily want to be extradited to mainland communist China for their due process, and you can understand why. Uh, Obviously, this means the censorship, political control, economic control, any other kind of control, if they can drag people from uh, Hong Kong back onto the mainland and treat them under, uh, you know, uh, communist uh, ruled China rules, laws. And And, and I remember, so this this has been going on for weeks now, and I remember that the leader, this woman, had said, well, well, we're going to stop it for now. We're going to pause or something, but she wasn't getting rid of this. And then I guess she must have been threatening to bring it back. And that's why we've had all these more recent protests. And these protests have gotten violent, as I understand already, with respect to some of the Hong Kong clashes with the Hong Kong security forces. Is that right? Just recently, at first, they were mass, peaceful. You know, they seemed like the most civilized, but huge uh, uh, demonstrations, but now I understand there there are I- issues coming up, and I ha- suspect that it will get violent and ugly before it's over. Okay, I think this is the thing that I read just I believe yesterday, day before, was that there were clashes, and pretty much people understand that these clashes are instigated at the behest of the central government. Right. So it gives China the reason, and this is what they're doing now, what I've just heard, China's threatening to send in military forces to bring peace to a situation they probably mostly started. Of course. And this is straight out of Atlas Shrugged, if you see what happened to the Reardon steel plant. Exactly. That's a great analogy. Yeah. Okay. What's so so sad is that I've never been to Hong Kong. Several of my... I was going to ask you... Several of my dearest friends have, and I've got Facebook friends who have actually lived in Hong Kong, multiple Facebook friends. From what I understand, it's one of the most wonderful places in the world, mm-hmm. uh, just in so many different ways. The, 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 the amount of freedom they have there exceeds that in m- most allegedly free Western countries. It would just be a tragedy to see one of the most economically dynamic and you know, just culturally dynamic places in the world be swallowed up by totalitarianism. So I'm rooting for the people there and I hope that they again stand up on principle against this because it's going to be terrible if they succumb to this. I mean this extradition is just the beginning. If they get this it's going to be you know again like the 2011 FTC with Facebook you know they get a little bit of their claws in and if you know if they're able to extradite then they're essentially able to impose the same laws on Hong Kong. That's, in fact, what it is. The same restrictive laws. That's right. And the interesting thing about Chinese extradition, since you're a Hong Kong citizen, you're a citizen of China by their lights. 
So normally the United States wouldn't say be able to extradite someone for Canada for a crime they did in Canada. This is not the case. As I understand it, the Chinese government could extradite you for a crime you committed in Hong Kong that violated mainland laws. So in effect, it's the entire imposition of Chinese law on Hong Kong. That's why the demonstrations have been so big. Okay, now it's making even more sense. I only just now made that connection, so wow. Okay, so this is terrible. We're going to have to watch and, and see what happens. I When I post this on Facebook, because it just had come in, I think, 13 minutes on uh, New York Times before I saw it and, and posted it out there. And um, people are coming back saying, I hope a billionaire arms everybody in Hong Kong, you know, so that they can resist this. And then someone else comes in and says, well, they could 3D print any guns that they have because they're very technologically astute. Of course, they could 3D print all the weapons that they need, but given that they haven't done it yet, will they, et cetera? Maybe people are waking up to the fact that the clashes that are happening are already at the behest of the central government and that it is just a, an excuse for the central government. Again, they're hinting, it says this headline, hinting that their troops could be used to quell the Hong Kong protest. And they needed an excuse to threaten with troops, didn't they? Supposedly, because they have to have this pretense of being civilized, even though they are thuggish, totalitarian. And it was striking to me that the initial demonstrations, as massive and huge as they were, were so peaceful, so calm. They picked up trash after themselves. and They didn't even leave dirty streets. And it seems odd to me that now these later ones are being reported to have trouble. And so I very much suspect uh, who's causing the trouble. I agree. I agree completely. Uh, next on the notes, because all we can really do on that is wait and see, unfortunately, and I'm yeah. going to sigh all over the place if we keep talking about it. Right. Um, you said that you watched the show that I had with your own yesterday, so thanks for doing that. And oh, you I enjoy it. <laughs> had some follow-up maybe on some of the things that we talked about that you wanted to do, so I was going to leave open a place for that. I think we did. I think I, I, I've actually been able to do that. I've been able to sneak in all the stuff I wanted to say about yesterday. So, so one of the main things was that your issue with Kindle is analogous to the issue that I've had with Facebook, where Absolutely they have is. these algorithms and one false positive, whether it's from a user report or maybe from some generalized cleanup or who knows what it is, that that can take you off of their platform for an extended period of time, depending in on- In my case, I'm certain, I'm pretty sure, um, reasonably certain, let me put it this way, that it was a customer complaint and that had no technical basis and was really just trying to ideologically hit the book. The fact that Amazon is sensitive to that, I think is bad Amazon policy. They need to look at that. They're losing money. <laughs> I may be losing money. Um, so I agree it's bad marketing but it's really bad marketing and it can be ideologically biased. And in my case, I'm pretty sure that it was. Yes, and it is. I mean, it's a very controversial topic and take that you have on it. And I could see some people getting very emotional to the extent that they want to impose censorship on you. Uh, they, that's their goal and they wanna go ahead and use those means to do it, which is, Oh, and if they can't misrepresent what's in the book, and the, you know we've gotten a lot of mostly positive reviews, but when you read those negative reviews, what's astonishing to me is, first they'll try lying about it. You know, <laughs> these people deny that there was any historical Jesus. Whoa, did you even read the book? No, we don't. 
but that's a common feature, say, of the negative reviews. So if that doesn't work, then you've got to shut down the book altogether. And they're going to do it by saying there's a technical problem because Amazon, as far as I know, is ethical enough that they would not shut it down for a content issue. And frankly, I don't think that Amazon's uh, ideological bias would be against this. I think they might, no, no, no. Sure, might sure, actually, sure. it's customers that they're being sensitive to here. But again, you know, I, I still, I mean, you know, Zuckerberg, boy, am I disappointed in him right now for, you know, you know what they were threatening though. Okay. So imagine the FTC, the the news write-up that I saw about this is that people are disappointed that the FTC did not make him personally liable for Yikes. these very yeah yeah yeah. So, you know, it's just like the bank. <laughs> Why don't we industry, put him in jail? Right? Like the, it, He's Star, so successful a businessman. Let's jail him. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So probably the reason that this is there is that they were threatening him personally. And I guess he somehow thinks that he can still do good in the world while handing, what is an effect? I mean, what is this platform? This is the, you know, sort of privacy and, and um, you know, communication and broadcast equivalent of a nuclear weapon, right? I mean, this is such a powerful platform and He's handing it over to the government, I think, naively believing that not only is he saving himself from whatever horrible thing they were threatening him with, but that he can do more good for the world. You know, for instance, he's been doing education initiatives with his wife. I mean, he's done a, a lot of things that I think are very well-intentioned and probably have done what you and I would agree are some good as well, Jim. So, oh, yeah. you know. I would not certainly I, not deny that. I think to some extent he's naive, but what I would say to him is, Mark Zuckerberg, you are mistaken. And if you are handing this wonderful, powerful piece of technology that you have created over to the government the way that you are, you've read 1984. I mean, I'm sure he's read Orwell's 1984. He's had that thing where, you know, he read, reads however many books a year, a challenge or something to himself. He knows better. He knows better. Yeah. Um, okay. That's very disappointing. Yeah, it well, it's, it's horrible. Um, so, in the program notes from yesterday, there is one thing that I want to talk about, and I'm going to try to do it in the spirit of taking bad news and turning the looking at a semi-bright side of some bad news. Find that silver lining. Well, I'm going to try. I'm going to try. You you can help me here. So the budget deal. The budget deal is another ominous piece of news. Oof. Again, something else that I've predicted that Donald Trump, who lacks all principle and in effect, you know, he's a pragmatist, but he leans as most pragmatists do towards the altruist side because it, you know, if you are going to try to answer as many demands as possible, pragmatist style, you're going to end up doing something like the greatest good for the greatest number, which is going to be sacrificing those who can actually provide value to those who can't, right? You're going to do this altruist thing. You're going to do something that looks like socialized. And you're going to pander to the politics of altruism because whether you're on the left and you know, you're socialist sympathetic or you're on the right, you're Christian sympathetic, they both accept the same morality of altruism. And so good politics is to pander to that. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So satisfying as many demands as possible, which is what William James says the good pragmatist does. Right. 
he's going to do that. So he, right. this is where he goes. And so I predicted, sure enough, you've got Democrats in control of the House and that he's going to compromise with them. And as own so eloquently put it yesterday, that he decided his wall is more important than maintaining the sequester, having any semblance of fiscal responsibility, et cetera, et cetera, this huge spending budget. So I think uh, my worst fear is that I'm going to have to admit to you that I'm uh, my first reaction is that I cannot find a silver lining there. I mean, when I okay, read well, the he headline a couple of days ago in the New York Times, it's like my I had a sinking feeling in the pit of my stomach. I had hoped that the one good thing that would come from all this nasty partisan rancor, which so degrades our politics on both sides. I mean, you know, you've got Trump making bigoted statements against in, uh, immigrants, and then you've got uh, about who? An anti-Semitic congresswoman. So anti-Semite calls uh, anti-immigration bigot a bigot. Pick your bigot, Pick your bigot right? As that and great so we're, we're, yeah, it's one of those plague on both of your houses. So there's nasty, nasty political discourse right now. And the one silver lining I saw in the nasty political discourse was maybe gridlock. Yes. Because what I feared most when the Democrats took the House last year was that they would agree on regulating drug prices, an expensive infrastructure program, uh, spending in general, giving the, you know, selling the farm to all the Democrat uh, social issues. The deficit is going up now at a faster clip than it ever did. It's scheduled to a faster clip than it ever did under Obama. Yes. And that's what everybody right? cites. Oh, Obama this, Obama that. The sequestration law is gone. Anything that protected the, the that kept the budget uh, even under some kind of regulation during Obama's time, it, it, it they were merciless. It did hit defense as well as others, but at least we had the sequester that would keep the budget, you know, a little bit down. Now the budget deficit is going to go up at least one percent greater uh, under uh, in Trump's first term than it did under Obama. Worse budget irresponsibility than under Obama with a Democrat Congress. So in searching for the silver lining, I'll first ask you a question because you are a user of Facebook that's a bit different than I am still in that you have a lot of so-called Facebook friends. And in that group, which is quite large, you have a lot of, I think, Trump supporters more than I do. Oh, I do. Remaining in my list. So my question for you is, have they defended this? Are they starting to see maybe that Trump isn't the savior of capitalism after all, or, or what? Some of my nearest and dearest actually voted for Trump, but they held their nose to vote for Trump, and they're the first ones to be very disappointed and frightened of sure. disagreement. There are other Trump supporters, unfortunately, that will brook no criticism whatever. You know, um, still, still, that, that it does not really matter. Well, you know, it, I, I'm not don't have a lot of big Rush Limbaugh fans, but you know, you'll hear Rush Limbaugh himself recently saying budget deficits don't much matter. Here's the, you know, I know Rush. It, you know, Leonard Peikoff had it right. Rush Limbaugh is basically a shill for the GOP, <laughs> but he's really bad. taken it to new heights. He doesn't even have a nominal uh, concern for the uh, budget deficit. Um, we, are, we are now, government revenue over the last 10 years increased by about a trillion dollars. 
But now our budget deficit is going to be <laughs> hundreds of billions each year more than it was under Obama. And this includes discretionary spending as well as military spending. And Republicans who are defending Trump the religious you, pro-Trumpers won't even hear a criticism. Remember, <laughs> and you know, those of us who listened closely to what Trump said and took seriously and literally what he said during the campaign, we can now say, look, he's being consistent with exactly what he said during the campaign. Remember, he would criticize the deficits in the spending, but it was only with a certain disclaimer. He said, you know, they spent all this and they don't have anything to show for it because we have third world infrastructure, our airports, blah, blah, blah. So it wasn't that he had a problem with the spending per se. Correct. He thinks he's going to spend that money better than... Well, remember, Obama had a huge infrastructure program. And, you know, we all saw some signs on the edge of the road and there was all some traffic delays here and there. But the point is that with all of that money spent on infrastructure, we still are supposed to have a crisis with infrastructure. So uh, I, I'll give Trump some credit on that. This infrastructure money is generally a boondoggle and is often totally wasted. <laughs> but that doesn't stop him from cutting a deal with Democrats on the very same thing. Because, you know, I'm a construction, real estate construction guy. Uh, I can do this. Yes. So as far as you can tell, there is no red line for Trump supporters with respect to deficits and spending. I would say a with lot the of free those market people- in general. They don't care if tariffs are used as a tool in immigration policy with Mexico. They don't care if, if tariffs are used as a regular policy tool with our allies like Canada okay. and Europe and Japan. It's not just China and intellectual property. They don't care whether tariffs become a commonly used tool. Um, they don't see the free market implications of restricting Im- immigration. The, all these economic arguments they make about how it keeps wages up here in the United States to restrict immigration, they have thrown in the towel on the free market. They don't even have a nominal respect. What Trump has done to the GOP is shocking. I mean, a few years ago, it's true, the Republicans have never really been advocates of the free market, but a mixed economy. But Trump has taken that mix and moved it way over to the left, even as he makes all this noise about America will never be a socialist country. Well, he, more than any Republican in my lifetime, is moving it in that, since at least Richard Nixon, is moving it in that socialist direction, whatever term he chooses to complain about. Okay, so I'm going to still try and pull out the silver lining. (laughs) Are you ready for this? Okay. I'm going to try. So I have my meme. And you can see the meme in the program notes for the show I did with Yaron yesterday at don'tletitgo.com. I put it out there on Twitter and stuff. I I embedded the tweet in the program notes in hopes that more people will retweet it and it'll get some more exposure out there. The the meme is a picture of Trump and Pelosi chumming it up. And the text is this. Trump is saying to Pelosi, he says, and if we call it Trump Pelosi care, they'll think it's free market. And he's laughing. Because, <laughs> <laughs> you know, if the, if the name Trump is first, then they can still decide. Right. right. Um, yeah. Oh, and you know he wants to provide everybody with insurance. He's already said so. That yes. was part of his... It, campaign against Obamacare, which of course, thanks to McCain, of course, in part, but because Obamacare, he's really failed to repeal. All he got rid of was the individual mandate and certain administrative regulations that he could change. Well, uh, and now they also got rid of the, um, 
like the Cadillac provision or whatever. Oh, yes. because, yeah. yeah. So there was, right. there was this Cadillac tax and now they've all agreed to get rid of it, which is basically going to make the whole thing implode, implode and make what I'm putting in this meme necessary. Right. Because the, if the whole thing it just explodes or implodes or whatever it's doing. Um, yeah. The, I actually, I have that other meme from a long time ago about Jenga you know, a Jenga game. And so they have this whole thing of Obamacare, which is the thing where you start pulling out. And when you pull it out- At one point, will it all collapse? Well, but they, <laughs> these type of people, they want it to collapse because they want universal care. Let's just have single payer and do it, right? So my prediction is they're going to do this. I think anybody who reads this meme knows that it's a possibility, right? So if all of those- people who are supposedly conservative Trump supporters, maybe they've given up on free markets. They don't care about deficits or tariffs or anything or spending anymore because all they want to do is build a wall and keep out immigrants, whatever. Um, they're supposed to care about Obamacare. They hated Obamacare. They wanted Obamacare repealed. They didn't want it replaced. Certainly they don't want it supposedly replaced with socialized medicine. I promise you Trump is going to try to give us that. Oh he's, yeah. He's going to He's already it. given us a drum roll for his medical plan that he's going to run on in 2020 and I think we should all hold our breath with some fear over that because he does he stated that he wants to provide healthcare for everybody and while it won't be single payer while it'll still involve private insurance it does involve greater government involvement one way or another no matter how you slice it. Well, and it will be a step in the left direction, in the direction towards socialism, the thing he swears America will never be. So, yeah. And, and so what I could see happening, I don't know if he's going to get reelected or not. There's a probably a decent chance that he will. Yeah. Um, if he gets reelected and he's put that plan out there, then we still have Democrats in control of the House, which I think is also likely then he'll say, well, he had to compromise with Pelosi and then make this, you know, Trump Pelosi care, as we might call it. And it's going to end up being socialized. And he'll say, but, but look, I was on the record. I didn't want socialized right. medicine. My plan was not socialized medicine, but, mm. oh, I just had to compromise. But, you know, just like the current budget deal, right? I know there's this discretionary spending that I don't like, but look, it's better that I strike this deal because he's yeah. all about the art of the deal. He's a so deal maker. You're, you're still waiting for the silver lining, right? Uh, yeah. <laughs> so I'm going to, I'm going to tell you my, my glimmer. It's maybe just like, please, a, please. when I looked at the stats for this meme, okay. You know, I don't know if you looked at engagement stats for anything that you've posted. If you have a page or if you have a Twitter account, you can look at what your stats are and it'll tell you what the engagement rate is. So there's, you know, however many impressions and then some fraction of the number of impressions, the number of times that it's actually in front of somebody's eyes, right? right? Some fraction of that, a person clicks on something in your post or tweet or whatever. Mm -hmm. Look at engagement rate. Right. And on a typical graphic or photo, I get about a 10% engagement rate, which sounds low to somebody who doesn't know this, but it's actually quite high. Yeah. Higher. That's, that's a decent rate. Yeah, actually. No, like, so, yeah. So like a normal post that has some sort of a decent preamble that I've written, like the N dimensional chess thing that I wrote the other day, right. I'll get, you know, say a 5% engagement rate. It's okay. You know, um, like I said, a typical graphic or photo, maybe a 10% engagement rate. This got a 20% engagement rate. 
people were concerned enough about the prospect of Trump Pelosi care, which is what they saw in the part of the graphic that they could see, to click on it and find out what in the world I was talking about. And I have a lot of people who come back at me on Twitter just defending Trump all day long, okay? He can do no wrong. Yeah. 20% of thousands clicked on this, and I heard almost like no protest to what I was saying. Good, good. Well, got their okay. attention. <clears throat> yeah, I think got that's their, enough to put. Got their attention, yeah. made them think, look, she's probably saying something that could actually happen and that we should be worried about. That's the only silver lining I have. Hmm. That I would have to say that that's um, a very that's tarnished silver lining. Pathetic. I'm so sorry. <laughs> we, we need to polish that silver, I think, badly. But yeah, you're, you know, you're absolutely right, though. Um, it at least can, clarifies the Can we get the their issue. attention? Can we get them worried about right. Right. what Trump's pragmatism actually means for our future? That's the question. And I'm saying... At least I think with what I've seen with this meme that I have gotten their attention to where they can't even bring themselves to argue against what I've done in that meme. Right. I'm disturbed by the, the, the Trump folks. You know, if you don't say positive things about Trump, they won't hear you at all. So let me just say that uh, Trump did undo much of the Obama legacy. To give him credit where credit is due, he got us out of, say, the Iran deal that was so horrific that Obama well, did. But, but I don't see him not wanting to do a Iran's deal with Iran best. either. Yeah. That's the bottom line. And when I step back and when you look at all the dictators that Trump, Trump doesn't seem to have anything but a love affair with every authoritarian in the country. Mm-hmm. I mean, geez, you know, the Saudis, they told me they didn't chop up that journalist. And gee, the Iran drone, I bet it was just a mistake. And I've got such a great relationship with Xi. I'm sending love letters to Kim of North Korea. And Putin and I, we just have this wonderful relationship. And he told me that the Russians didn't interfere with the election. He, he's, he doesn't have anything but nice things to say about dictators because he really wants to make a deal with all of them, including Iran. Um, and people who... Five, three, four years ago, hate you knew were on the verge of demanding war with Iran are also defending Trump now. So I suspect it has nothing to do with policy. I suspect they'll defend Trump no matter what he says, even people who at one time seemed to me to be principled defenders of freedom. So you don't they've, think they've this, those principles in the, the, the specter of getting something worse than Obamacare, which they have in their minds, oh my gosh, Obamacare is evil, Obamacare is evil. At least that concrete seems to be instilled in anybody. That may be the only thing to get their attention. I don't know. Let's hope. They seem, though, to defend anything Trump does. I mean, if Trump gave us semi-socialized medicine, I still think that there would be Republican defenders of it. Which well, is and yeah, disturbing. he's talked about he's going to cover pre-existing conditions and everybody thinks that that's no problem. And, and he wants to cover everybody somehow. Means. Okay, I tried. I tried. So you give me a silver lining. <laughs> I want a silver lining, Jim. That was my attempt. Well, the I silver really lining is, the silver lining is, I think, let's play the tape even forward a little more. It will be a disaster. It will lead to something that will be even a greater disaster. And it seems, unfortunately, that it takes a crisis to get people to see anything. Um, And of course, seeing it will require that they have the philosophical tools to see it correctly. Um, But the failure of socialism in Europe 
in Western Europe is certainly far more understood by your rank and file voter, say, in Western Europe than it is in the United States today among young voters who seem to be in love with the idea of socialism, who seem to think that Scandinavia is socialist, who mm -hmm. seem not to know anything about the history of the Soviet Union or Cambodia or China or anywhere else where serious social or Venezuela is going on today. That disconnect in young voters is very, very disturbing to me. And uh, it will take, I think, some horrible crisis. Unfortunately, it breaks my heart to think, but some, sometimes people have to be clobbered around the head with the disaster of something. Sometimes it may be in the long run, the only way to get them to see it is to give, the, give it to them with both hands so they have firsthand experience with it. You, of course, you can't predict what's gonna happen under real socialism, it could go either way. Yes. down the pit to despair, or gee, we were wrong, let's correct ourselves, as so many countries in Western Europe actually have uh, become more and more free market in some ways, because they have a more direct understanding of the failure of socialism than uh, folks in America do. Yeah, and my concern is that, okay, yeah, we could have this experiment and let it play out and, you know, have something collapse and everybody realize what was wrong and try to go for something better. But by that point, will these authoritarian minded leaders in our country, of which there are plenty in both political parties now, yeah, will these guys, thanks to now the FTC having their claws in all of the big tech companies, which is how we all communicate and get ideas out into the world and change things for the better, um, well, they have this vice grip, so. And that's the scariest thing of all. If we have free speech, we can fight it. We can get better arguments out there. Democracy might function a little, but if they control our means of expression, our media of, of getting our ideas out there, who knows? Yeah. And even so, just economically, the idea of having to suffer like that, it, and we don't know which way it could go. It could get worse even. People could misinterpret it and blame capitalism as they usually do. but. Uh, just even to have to go through the suffering of a crisis is is bad enough. But you want to the best silver lining I can kind of find in this grim policy is that maybe it'll cause such problems that people will start thinking differently. Yeah, and we're going to try to help them. So we will. That's why we're here. We'll, <laughs> no, but I mean, we'll keep doing this as long as we're allowed yeah. to do this. And right. We are going to keep pushing for the right ideas and pointing out the problems and um, trying to take a principled approach to everything as it comes. So that's right. what we're here for. None of the above. We do not accept any of the authoritarianism on the left or the right. We're rejecting it all. We're going to give you our reasons why. We're not just going to sit here and pontificate at you and we'll ask you ask questions. Let me go over, by the way, to the chat. Um, I do not yet have super chat by the way so people if you're at youtube and you're watching us today i'm going to ask you please subscribe to my channel the more people who subscribe to my channel if you check out some of my old videos and stuff and i get my viewership up i will get a cool tool called super chat which will allow you to ask questions put a little bit of money to it and then have it brought more to my attention than the you know, kind of stream that I'm looking at right now. There's not a whole ton of you. I'm not going to sit here and brag and say, oh, I have a huge following. I've got, you know, a smaller number of following watching live right now. But I thank those of you who are there. And I'm going to ask you, please, if you're watching and you haven't yet subscribed, please subscribe. Go to my blog at don'tletitgo.com. 
on the right-hand side of my blog at don'tletitgo.com, there is a place to put in your email address for an email subscription. And I'm going to beg you right now to do this because I don't know how long I am going to feel comfortable staying on the social media platforms given what this, I have to digest this news today and I have to think about it carefully because my immediate impulse is just tear it all down, you know, Dominique style or whatever. Um, I have to think about it and we'll talk about it more. I don't think it's like immediate this second, but we're going to have to act soon. I think we know when they're I agree. Do the first it has time. to be thought about and thought through now. Um, yeah. Please subscribe as an email yes. subscription to my blog, because at least email might remain a viable way of communicating with the following for some time to come. Spread the word, tell your friends, because another thing, as much as I love Facebook, is and you know twitter and everything else i love these platforms the power that they provide i do believe that there is some throttling of non-leftist content on these channels so everything that you can do if you like our show today i urge you to share it please as well because it's not going to i think be favored even though i'm sitting here defending facebook and saying please stand up for yourselves against these government thugs Facebook is not standing up for itself and we have to do the work for them as long as they're going to let us do it on their platform. So ask you all your social media platforms, email list, whatever you have. If you value this show, please share it. Consider subscribing to my blog. I'm going to set up a Patreon for our show. We'll stay on Patreon as long as Patreon will have us. We'll just keep going as long as we can. I thank you so much, Jim. This has been tremendous fun. Yes. A lot of fun. No, I mean, fun in the sense of just having a valuable conversation, even though these issues are bad. I just feel like it's, you know, synchronicity again, because of the various news items that came up today that tap into your particular interests and my particular interests and right. to have such a good conversation about it. I thank you. I look forward to doing this every week. So This is great. I look forward to this very much. Thank you very much for, for, for inviting me. This is wonderful. I think it's the perfect time. So I agree. Thank you, sir. And Thank you. We'll talk next week. We will. Bye, everybody. I'm going to go ahead and Bye-bye. do my little clicking and end the stream. But who knows? You know, the way things are going, I could have a camera going all day or something. And <laughs> take care, everybody. Take care.